The Arizona Fall League is halfway over. Who had a good week last week and who's helped themselves out in the desert? Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, award-winning baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're probably part of the Locked on Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And today's episode is made possible by our friends at Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use code Locked on MLB for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. So the Arizona Fall League season is halfway over, and we've seen some guys show up on this Tuesday recap show quite a few times, and so I want to look at who did well last week, and then who's really helped themselves out in the desert, whether it's a top prospect who showed they're healthy, a guy who maybe wasn't even a rated prospect but has pushed himself into that conversation, or somebody who maybe changed different tiers in the prospect rankings. And so... I'm going to start off with James Triantos of the Chicago Cubs. A guy missed some time this year, had a torn meniscus. And so the season got started late. And the book on James Triantos going into the season, going into his age 20 season, was that he was a good hitter that was looking for a defensive home. He had put on a little bit of weight since high school and... So he moved off a shortstop, but it was something where his range wasn't really seen as good enough for third, and his hands and his actions weren't really good enough for second. And so it was a, yes, he's a good hitter, but where is he going to play? And then defensively, you didn't necessarily, offensively, you didn't really see the power you wanted to see from him this year. In 83 games, mostly in high A South Bend, he got to double A Tennessee at the very end of the season, but he hit... 287, 364, 391, four home runs, 22 extra base hits, again in 83 games with 35 walks to 39 strikeouts. Last week, James Triantos looked pretty good at the plate in five games, 11 to 24, a double, a triple, and a home run, five RBIs, one walk to six strikeouts, and four for four on stolen bases in the Arizona Fall League as a whole. 13 games. So it's really two weeks of minor league action. It is a very small sample size, but he's 22 of 51. He's hit two homers. He's had three doubles and four triples, which already feels like it's getting close to a record. Nine extra base hits. He scored 10 runs. He's had 13 RBIs, eight walks to 11 strikeouts, and six to seven on stolen bases. The things that have stood out to me is one, he's hitting for more power in Arizona than he did in South Bend or in, the again, the brief cameo in Tennessee. So he's hitting for more power, which is good because we're talking about a guy that has been defensively limited. And so if you take a guy that ha- runs good batting averages but isn't hitting for any power and doesn't play defense very well, it's very hard to get that guy into a lineup at the major league level, right? You can have guys, there are exceptions to that rule. Obviously, Luis Arise is a guy who will have a starting job as long as he can continue to bat 300 plus for a whole, and flirt with 400. But he's an extreme example of, he's not giving you anything from a power perspective, but he's also probably the best contact hitter in baseball. So 
you've got that. But hitting for more power. And then the other thing is where he's been playing, right? He's played some second. He's played some third. He's played some center field. And he hasn't looked awful in any of those. And I still am not going to say he's going to be a gold glove defender or even a, a above average or plus defender. But if he can be competent at a couple different positions, as well as be a quality offensive option and show a little bit better power than he's shown, James Triantos is really raising the profile of what he could be into a utility player at the major league level. And we already thought he was going to make the majors because the bat was so good. But again, if he can just get to close to average defensively and be able to competently cover a second base, a third base, take take reps in the outfield, that makes it easier to get him onto the diamond. And obviously, especially in Chicago, where you have second base and shortstop locked up long-term between Nico Horner and Dansby Swanson, and then you have Pete Crow Armstrong patrolling center field for probably the next decade. It helps to have that versatility. Some other guys who have done really well, Kalai Rosario of the Minnesota Twins. Uh, He had a good week last week, 6 of 18, hit three home runs, scored six runs, four RBIs, three walks to five strikeouts, no stolen base attempts. He struggled early in Arizona. He struggled early this season, and it's something where the underlying data maybe was a little more friendly to Kalai Rosario than the actual stats are. 118 games in Cedar Rapids this year. He batted 252, 364, 467. 21 home runs, 50, 50, 51 extra base hits, 75 walks to 157 strikeouts, and two for four on stolen bases. So, like, on its face, good numbers, 20 years old in high A. It makes sense. But when you look at what he was able to do as far as the advanced numbers, right? He had a contact rate over 65%. He had a 90th percentile exit velocity over 103 a chase rate under 22%, and a pretty good barrel rate as well. And like the folks that fell into this bucket, for the most part, are higher profile prospects than him. Emmanuel Rodriguez, also the Twins, Roman Anthony of the Boston Red Sox, Carter Jensen of the Royals. So Kalai Rosario, his fall performance starting to look a little bit more like his regular season underlying numbers are coming through into production. So. Happy to see Clyde Rosario have a good week last week. And obviously, Minnesota's got a lot of position player talent. We've already talked about the logjam they have in the infield. They've got multiple outfielders coming now, too. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. Uh, JT Schwartz of the Mets had a good uh, week in the Arizona Fall League. He went 8 of 18, 5 doubles, and 2 home runs. So 7 of his 8 hits are for extra bases. 4 runs, 9 RBIs. No walks to three strikeouts and one for one on stolen bases. And he was a guy that was going to the Arizona Fall League to make up on missed time. He only played in 72 games last year because of injury. And most of those in AA Binghamton. But in those 72 games, 305, 392, 432. Only hit four home runs in 72 games in AA. So the fact that he hit two home runs just last week bodes really well that The power is starting to show up in a way that it really hasn't shown up since he's been in the minors. He has a grand total uh, in minor league baseball 
of 207 games and 10 home runs. So if that power can start to show up for JT Schwartz, it puts him in a really good position because you combine some better power with the fact that he played first, both first base and left field in Arizona. And you look at a team that has questions about does Pete Alonso stick around or not? Does he get re-signed? Does he stick around long-term? Or is he only there for another year or two? And now you've got, there's not a ton of first base options in this system. You've got JT Schwartz. Mark Vientos is up at the major league level. He can play both third and first. And with Brett Beatty competing for third, I think the best way that would work out would be Beatty at third, Vientos at first. And then later, I'm going to talk about Kevin Parada, and I think he'll be an option for first base. I'll explain why a little bit later. Another guy that did well this week from an offensive perspective, Caleb Durbin, the second baseman for the New York Yankees, acquired from the Braves in the Joe Jimenez deal after the 2021 draft. I think he was like a 14th or 15th rounder out of college. But last week, 9-19, three doubles, two home runs, five runs and five RBIs. Five walks to one strikeout and three for three on stolen bases. In Arizona so far, 16 of 46 with eight extra base hits and seven of eight on stolen bases. So he's flashing both the power and the speed. And on that power note, Caleb Durbin going into Monday's games has the fourth highest OPS in all of the Arizona Fall League at 11-13. Caleb Durbin showing he can play second or third, play some short as well, showing that he's also got some speed to go along with the power. It's something where this Yankees team, you've got Anthony Volpe at short. You've got Oswald Peraza as an option at at second base. You have a lot of young talent, but being able to show, yes, uh, I can come in and play multiple positions and give you both a power threat and your speed threat, I don't want to make the joke that he's the next Jose Altuve. He's listed at 5'6", 185, but it feels like he plays bigger than 5'6", 185. And you absolutely could see him be a piece for the Yankees going forward if he can keep this up. In just a minute, a couple pitchers that did really well in the Arizona Fall League and maybe what this means for them going forward. We'll do that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. The MLB postseason is here. This is October. We are in the middle of, of the chase to figure out who's going to be in the World Series. So you should make your postseason debut with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Join FanDuel today. You can get started with $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to create your new account. You can get in on the action from the first pitch until the final out. Bet on everything from strikeouts, home runs, who's going to win the game. If you don't want to stay up super late to get to the end of the game, just predict what's going to happen in the next at-bat with a quick bet. Head on over to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn right now. Step up to the plate this postseason with $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. Okay, a couple pitchers that did really well in the Arizona Fall League last year and what this might mean for them going forward. Right-hand pitcher Darius Vines of the Atlanta Braves had a start, got the win, five and two-thirds innings, four hits, one run, it was an earned run, no walks to nine strikeouts. One of the few Arizona Fall League guys that has major league time. 
And it's because he took a really big leap in 2023. Going into the year, his ERA between AA and AAA last year, and that's probably two-thirds or maybe three-fourths AA, one-fourth AAA, but it was 377. He made 27 starts, and he struck out just about 10 batters per nine innings. Uh, in 2023, uh, he made six starts in Gwinnett. He missed a little bit of time, but six starts in Gwinnett, 10 total starts in the minors, 2-3-7 ERA, struck out, still struck out nine batters per nine innings, draw, yeah, kept the walk rate under three walks per nine, and got rewarded with a major league call-up. Uh, pitched in five games, two starts for Atlanta, went 1-0 with a 3-9-8 ERA. And I think this is big for Darius Vines because Atlanta has a lot of instability in their rotation, both next year and going forward. So we already know Kyle Wright, who won 21 games in 2022, is not going to pitch in 2024. He had shoulder surgery. Charlie Morton is currently undecided whether or not he's going to come back. He has until five days after the World Series to tell Atlanta so they can pick up his club option. But... Uh, he may not come back. And, and then you saw how many, they used 13 different starters and three openers in 2022 because of injuries to Max Freed, Michael Soroka, things like that. And so Atlanta has openings for starting pitchers at the major league level. And they're expected to either trade for or sign a starter in free agency, probably even if Morton comes back. But going forward after this, you're going to have multiple open is expected. Max Freed's going to leave. You also have Michael Soroka hitting six years of service time after 24. Yanni Chirinos, if he's even tendered this year, hit six years of service time. And so there is absolute runway on the back end of that rotation for somebody to take that fifth starter spot and run with it. And we saw Vines come up and be successful for the most part in both starting and relief. I don't know if his stuff is going to be any better than a back end of the rotation guy. It's a fastball, changeup, heavy profile. And the fastball sits 90 to 92. He can touch 94 with it, but he doesn't really have the consistent velocity that you're looking for. But again, the changeup's very good. Throws a curveball and a slider as well. I absolutely think he can survive as a back end of the rotation kind of guy. And this Arizona Fall League is big for Darius Vines to see can he show Atlanta he's ready for a full-time major league job? And also, can he be polished? Because he missed innings this year. Can he be polished and prepped and ready for spring training to go out and take that number five starter job in spring? Uh, left-hand pitcher DJ Hers traded from Chicago to Washington for uh, part of the Heimer Candelario deal at the deadline. Had a good start last week. No, didn't officially get the win because he only pitched four innings, but four innings, one hit, one run, it was a solo home run, four walks to nine strikeouts. And I, the thing for DJ Hurst, the reason why I'm calling this a good outing, even though he walked four guys, is he's always been effectively wild. Okay, so he's a, his, he's a lefty with a fastball that sits low to mid-90s, right? 93, 94 miles an hour, has a changeup with a lot of like late drop to it, and then he has a curveball that's also a vertical breaker. Side note there, I really want him to develop something that moves side to side. I don't know if it's a, a cutter, a slider, a sweeper, just something that gives you some lateral movement so it's not entirely a vertical game. But 
He's always had walk stuff. Last year, between Chicago and Washington in AA, 5.4 walks per nine innings. When he was, like, last year, and so 22, between high A and double A in Chicago's system, 6.6 walks per nine innings. He's always had walk issues. But what he's gotten better at doing has been preventing runs. That ERA in 2022 was a 4.25. This year, it was a 3-4-3, and when he got to A Harrisburg with Washington, it was only eight starts, but he brought it down to a 2-5-5. So, he's always been a little effectively wild. He's going to be, that is who he is, but he's gotten better at not letting guys hit him hard uh, and, you know, limiting runs, and some of that is that fastball is... It is pretty deceptive. He has a low three-quarter slot, and he he finishes across the body. And so the ball comes out almost in front of his body versus off to the side where you'd expect a pitch to come from, thrown from the left-hand side. And so it's harder for batters to pick up. And it looks, on film at least, to have a very flat approach angle, which we've talked about that on the show before. Uh, The pitches that have good backspin, flat approach angles, they don't interact very long with the bat as far as the plane of the swing, and they tend to end up higher than the hitter is expecting it to, and so you swing underneath it. The velocity is not amazing, but the approach angle, the movement, or the I guess the lack of vertical break is what really makes it play up, and you combine that again. He has the changeup and the curveball. He both plays vertically off of that. It's good enough to get outs, and being in Washington's system, he has the ability next year start off in AAA, and from there, probably get some time in the majors next year, provided that none of his peripherals balloon when he gets to AAA. One more pitcher that I think did well last week, Dylan Smith of the Detroit Tigers. Got two starts, eight total innings, three hits, four runs, three of those were earned, two walks to 12 strikeouts, uh, two home runs. And not a typical profile that you would think of a guy where we'd be saying, yeah, I think he did really well. But the big thing here is, one, he showed he was healthy, right? He missed a lot of time this year with a forearm strain, which is always terrifying when it comes to a pitcher because a lot of times it feels like the forearm strains lead to things like Tommy John. He got a grand total of 37 innings in 2023 between high A and double A. One, showing that he's healthy. The fastball was sitting there around 95. A lot of my notes had him as a slider change curveball guy. Some of the write-ups and some of the, the data that I saw from Arizona calls it calls that a cutter. I'm not sure if he tweaked it or if that's just the way StatCast classified it, but we can go from slider to cutter. We've talked on the show before. There's not a ton of difference in those sometimes. But either way, showing that he's healthy, and we've talked about how well Detroit has done with building up pitching options. And so I love the idea of Dylan Smith is healthy. He's throwing gas now. And as long as he continues to develop, you could see him make his major league debut probably like at best the end of 24, if not in 25, but showing that he's a legitimate option to take starts maybe in the back end of the rotation at the major league level. In just a minute, let's talk about who's leading the AFL and like I teased up front, who's helped themselves and a guy or two that's hurt themselves in Arizona. We'll do that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. 
But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Game Time. You should not have to be nervous about trying to find tickets to the sporting event you want to go to, right? And it might not even be a sporting event. I went with the family this weekend to a, a, a theater show put on for kids. We, we took them on Sunday before the, play, the postseason games, thankfully. Got a chance to watch that, but that was an impulse, last-minute thing. My wife said, hey, this is going on. Don't you guys have a sponsor of the show that has last-minute tickets? I hopped on to game time, and boom, right there it was. The, the Rainbow Fish family show got tickets. We went, had a great time. You get complete peace of mind when you make a purchase on game time. You can see the view from your seat before you buy, so you know what to expect. You see the all-in price up front. No hidden fees, no charges to send the to send the tickets to your email, whatever. You buy tickets with two or three taps, and they show up on your phone in moments. And the best part, the game time guarantee. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. So take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time. Download the game time app, create an account. Use code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Now, terms and conditions apply, but create an account, redeem code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off. Download the GameTime app today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Okay. Wrapping up, final segment here on LOCKEDONMLB Prospects, talking about the Arizona Fall League and what happened last week, and some guys who, over this three weeks in Arizona, have really help themselves from a from a from a perception standpoint or a proving people wrong kind of standpoint. Uh, some of your leaders right now, Kyle, Kyle Manzardo leads the Arizona Fall League with five home runs. A guy that was really good in 22 with Tampa Bay, struggled in 23 for some significant off the field reasons, was traded to Cleveland, started to get hot around the very end of the year as he did, got farther away from both those off-the-field issues, not his, and uh, started to recover from his shoulder injury. Hitting a bunch of home runs here in the Arizona Fall League. Again, leads them with five, looks pretty good. Your batting average leader, we talked about him, I think, last week. Catcher Liam Hicks with the Texas Rangers, batting 500, 574, 587. Hard to get mad about a guy batting 500. Your stolen base leader, believe it or not, is not Victor Scott of the St. Louis Cardinals. That's who we were expecting would be leading the circuit. He's 10 of 11 on stolen bases. Jacob Marcy of the San Diego Padres is a perfect 11 for 11. So that's who's doing that. For pitchers, your winner, your wins leader among starting pitchers to Tigers starter Jackson Job. He's started four games. He's three and one. He's drawn Ricky Tiedemann in some direct matchups. And so he didn't have a bad start in that fourth start that wasn't a win, but Tiedemann just had a better one. And so that's what happened. Speaking of Tiedemann, he is your strikeout leader. He has 23, whereas your whip leader, and one of the guys who's really helped himself more than I think anybody else in the Arizona Fall League from a pitching perspective, has been Davis Daniel. Davis Daniel of the Los Angeles Angels, uh, he's pitched 16 innings. He's got 22 strikeouts, whereas Tiedemann has 23 strikeouts in 18 innings. But Daniel leads the entire Arizona Fall League in batting average allowed with a 113. He leads the entire Fall League in whip with a .063 and has just looked like he, he's taken a leap 
this fall in the, in Arizona. Very excited to see what happens to him next year. Obviously, Los Angeles probably losing a starter in Shohei Otani. Wouldn't have started this year anyway because of Tommy John, but probably losing him in free agency, trying to figure out the rotation, figure out what some stuff. They're obviously going to have some spots open up. I feel like he could be a guy that by the end of the year could be up in Arizona. CJ Van Eyck of the Toronto Blue Jays is your ERA leader, .079 in 11 innings. He's allowed one earned run. And to close out the guys that have uh, helped themselves, Ricky Tiedemann, I think the big thing for him is he's shown the ability to go five or more innings and multiple outings in Arizona. He had not done that all season for Toronto or maybe even for his minor league career. I'm trying to remember exactly what I saw on the baseball reference page. But has done five innings in multiple starts in Arizona. So obviously a good thing there. I was asked, did Jake, is Jacob Barry helping himself in Arizona? Barry was the sixth overall pick in 2022 out of LSU by the Miami Marlins. And if you've been paying attention to Kim Ng leaving, leaving Miami, you may have noticed that some of the conversation around that was she wanted to keep the scouting director that drafted Jacob Berry, whereas ownership did not want him to stay. And I'm not saying, like, I'm not trying to cast shade on Kim Ng. That may have been the only thing she did wrong while she was there. I still think the entire thing is Bruce Sherman's fault, more so than Kim Ng's fault. I mean, if nothing else, he wanted to hire, uh, I think as president of baseball operations, to be over her. So she took a team, she got them into the post, she made some great deadline trades. Bell, uh, Josh Bell, and Jake Berger had some of the best per- production of any hitter traded at the deadline. She got them ahead of schedule, got them to the postseason, and her reward was going to be a demotion. But Jacob Berry's batting 304 in Arizona. And somebody said, hey, he, he's helped himself with his time in Arizona, right? I don't really think he has. So 304, 373, 457 is the slash line. He's got one home run and five extra base hits. He's also walked four times and struck out 14. And when you look at his age 22 se- or yeah, his age 22 season in 2023 between High A Beloit and Double A Pensacola and most of that was with Beloit. 79 of the 107 games was with Beloit. 233 284 388 was the slash line. Struck out 96 times in 107 games, only hit 9 home runs. For a guy that was such a prolific hitter both at Arizona and at LSU in college, he really hasn't been able to perform like that in the in the minor leagues. And this has not done anything to help that. It's a 457 slug, but which is higher than he had this season, but it's it's fueled by things outside of home runs. It's really fueled because he hasn't really had a ton of at bats and it's a 304 average. But it's not what you would expect from a 22-year-old who came out of the SEC at number six overall. So, no, Jacob Berry has not helped himself in Arizona. And a player that has actively hurt themselves in Arizona is Kevin Parada, the New York Mets first-round pick out of Georgia Tech, the catcher. Offensively, he's just okay. 214, 267, 429. He's got two home runs and five extra base hits. He's 9 of 42, so five of his nine hits are extra bases. But again, he's only batting 214. He's walked three times 
and he struck out 15. So that's not a good look. And then defensively, a lot of the conversation has been, can Kevin Parada stick behind the plate? And there's been uh, rumors and talk about internal sources think that he's getting better and better behind the plate. But in Arizona, he has been bad at stopping base dealers. Opposing players are 21 of 23 stealing bases against Kevin Parada. And this is a place where the stat line misleads you a bit because one of those two caught stealings was a pickoff. Kevin Parada didn't touch the ball. Colson Montgomery left, I think it was left first, and the pitcher threw to second and got him. So, really, opposing hit runners are 21 of 22 against Kevin Parada. At one point, he allowed 17 consecutive steals. He had two games where he gave up five stolen bases, and he had a game where he gave up seven stolen bases. It is increasingly unlikely that Kevin Parada sticks behind the plate for the New York Mets. And so that's why when I talked in the first segment about JT Schwartz, that's why I mentioned Kevin Parada at first base, because it looks more and more Kevin Parada is not going to be a catcher by the time he gets to the major league level, because he just does not have the arm strength to hold runners and probably wasn't going to be successful behind the plate as far as the running game went in the previous rules. But now that you've restricted the number of throws over and whatever effect you think the bigger bases has, I don't think it has any difference whatsoever on stolen bases. But with these new rules, there's no way a a major league team can install Kevin Prada as the catcher five days a week and have any chance of controlling an opposing running game. So uh, Kevin Prada has actively hurt his prospect status in Arizona. And when again, small sample, but it is a pretty standout significant sample. Um, fantastic week this week. If you have ideas for the shows, questions for Monday's mailbag, anything like that, Tons of ways to get them to us. I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked On Farm. We have an email. We have a Discord. We have a subtext. Lots of different options. It's all in the episode description. It's all in the show notes. Until tomorrow's show, remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor leaguer.